Hey Goblins, Brandon here. Uh, if you enjoy what we do and you'd like to help support us create more and maybe even take the podcast to weekly, then the best way right now that you can support us is to head over to patreon.com slash goblinsgrowlers. You can find all the different stuff we do there, one-page dungeons, uh, bonus audio for things, all kinds of stuff. So head on over there, uh, and even if it's just a dollar or you know however much you're comfortable doing, or if you can't put anything toward the Patreon, just tell a friend about it. Tell somebody about the podcast. That's another great way to support us. So, uh, patreon.com slash goblinsgrowlers, uh, and we'll see y'all soon. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Goblins and Growlers podcast. I'm Josh Maltby at Black Cloak DM on Twitter. And I'm Brandon Dingus at Way of Brandalore on Twitter and Instagram. So, Brandon, mm-hmm. how you doing today? Oh, I'm doing fine. Uh, it's a real coincidence that I'm wearing the same shirt as uh, the last time we recorded. <laughs> wait, funny funny wait. how that works out. Hold on. Are you trying to suggest that we're wearing the exact same outfits, sitting in very similar lighting, as the last time we recorded a rapper for a G. Edward Patterson interview episode. Yeah, and the funny thing is, the majority of our uh, audience doesn't care because they're just listening to it. <laughs> <laughs> so, retro- retrospectively, I didn't even need to call that out. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah, so how, how are you doing? S- similar to the last time I asked you? I I am I am a little <laughs> bit warmer because the uh, I've got the afternoon sun coming in and even when the AC is running there's only the one vent in this room so it gets toasty if it's closed up. Yeah, I I was dumb. I shut off the AC to the house so I could open some windows today. But then I'm like, oh, I have to record with Josh, so I can't open the window in my office. So <laughs> so it's starting to get a little toasty in here, but it'll be fine. The sun comes up on the opposite side of the house, so. These are the sacrifices we make to make quality content for you, folks. Yeah, yeah. Shower us with your appreciation, please. (laughs) Um, So uh, today we're going to have part two of our interview with G. Edward Patterson, author of A Grotesworth of Grotesques. Uh, It will have the same audio issues that it did last time. So we hope you can bear with it. Uh, But we just we wanted to prepare you ahead of time, just in case two weeks is enough time for you to forget about it. Fortunately, StreamYard's audio compression isn't quite as bad as Zoom audio compression, so hopefully it at least sounds a little bit better than yeah. a lot of the times when we're like, hey folks, we had audio issues. It'll be, it'll be fine. Everybody understands. The, our audience knows well the level of professionalism and production they can expect from us, so it'll all be fine. But I, I think in fairness to us, asking a guest who has so generously spent some of their time talking to us about their projects, uh, expecting us to be like, no, no, audio problems, we have to go back to the beginning and start it again. (laughs) I think folks know that's not going to happen. Yeah. Uh, So first off, before we do that, we're going to uh, scratch that indie itch again for this episode. And I have found something that I think is charming and it's very much, I think, timely in sort of more of a uh, universal sense of things. Uh, if folks will recall, some of the big news uh, in sort of uh, intellectual property at the beginning of the year 
was that Winnie the Pooh finally entered the public domain. Not the Disney version, but the original A.A. Milne stories upon which those are based. So, uh, immediately, people start thinking about, oh, what are some, what are some ways that uh, the Winnie the Pooh property can be repurposed now that it's in public domain? One of the more well-known uh, uh, topics for that one was uh, Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey, the horror film that is being produced that uh, sets Winnie the Pooh and Piglet as like serial killers. And I think that's coming out next year or maybe by the end of this year. I'm not sure. There's a trailer out there you can watch. I haven't watched it. <laughs> I'm not. I cried during Christopher Robin, so I'm not really looking to have that part of my youth destroyed by a Winnie the Pooh or slasher film. So, yeah, that's fair. Yeah. So uh, what I want to talk about is a fun little consequence of this, uh, this public domaining of Winnie the Pooh, is there is there are several, actually, but I'm just going to take a look at one of them, Winnie the Pooh RPGs that have come out. Uh, on Itch, several months ago, there was a, uh, a small game jam. Uh, it was a Winnie the Pooh TTRPG jam, and there were about probably about six or seven submissions to it. Uh, I would encourage anybody to get on there and take a look at it because one of them, not the one we're talking about, but one of them is a Winnie the Pooh Morkborg con uh, uh, conversion. So check that out if you like Morkborg and you like Winnie the Pooh. What uh, I want to look at is Winnie the Pooh, a storytelling game, and it was created and released by Neil Walker, uh, who, uh, if you look at their itch page, uh, they have uh, several kind of interesting things on there, including a Blake 7 uh, tabletop role-playing game. Josh, are you at all familiar with uh, Blake 7? The name sounds familiar, but I'm not placing it. I am not surprised because it's from the 1970s, and it is a British science fiction series that ran for four years. It was created by Terry Nation, who was the same person who created the Daleks for Doctor Who, uh, and... It's very much sort of a cult sci-fi hit. Anyway, Neil Walker has created a TTRPG based on that, which, because it's based on a licensed property to which they don't have the license, it is free. So you can just download <laughs> it for free. But it's like 50-some pages. So it clearly a lot oh, of work wow. has been put into it. But anyway, yeah. bringing us back around to Winnie the Pooh. So uh, Neil Walker created this for uh, the Winnie the Pooh game jam. It is a storytelling game, and it very much has uh, a lot of the flavors of, um, I guess, push, uh, you know, like storytelling decision systems. It runs on 2D6 and uh, uh, feels a lot like, um, gosh, what's the name? What's the name of that uh, storytelling game that I love? This is a sign of me being an old man that I can't Are remember it. Are you talking about uh, The Quiet Year? Yes, The Quiet Year. Uh, that's exactly what I'm referring to. Thank you, Josh. Uh, so it feels like that, too. So it uh, has character sheets. Uh, it's like, you know, character sheets for um, the, uh, the the people who live in Hundred Acre Woods, uh, like uh, Rue, Piglet, Tigger, Pooh. Uh, I, I said Pooh already. But um, let's see here. Let me see. I'm going to stop sharing that window and then I'm going to reshare it because it wasn't responding to what I wanted. 
So let's share that. There we go. Now I can control it. Yeah. So, yeah. So, yeah, it's got character sheets for like piglet, rabbit, owl. Uh, you've got um, and then <laughs> because I have the honey uh, extension installed in my Chrome, it's going to pop up a lot. But <laughs> I'm just going to cancel out of that. Uh, but <laughs> everybody's got stats uh, like their mood and various things. One of the interesting things about this is the weather really influences the game. Like at the beginning of the game, you roll for the weather on it and that helps determine uh like for example if it's uh like a chilly rainy day Pooh is going to be much more likely to want to stay at home and inventory his honey uh if it's a really sunny day maybe christopher robin wants to go out and explore they can have sort of an expedition to the north pole or something like that um you can play as any of those characters and it has a focus system to help drive the story so you uh, let's say uh, Piglet is starting out. Piglet has the focus and that can be kind of a token or something that the player playing Piglet has in their hand and they get to sort of create the driving force of the story and then they can hand off the focus to another player if it makes sense for them to continue the story or you can do it sort of as a round robin, a round Christopher Robin maybe, uh, and just hand the focus around clockwise so folks can drive the story. Uh, and anytime you get into a decision-making situation, you roll 2d6 and there's a mechanic for that. Uh, there's uh, a section in the, in the, in the rules that is saying like, you know, how many hit points do I have? And it says, it's not really that sort of game. Uh, there's little conflict. And if anyone suffers a misadventure, like falling out of a tree, they'll come off generally unscathed. Uh, the most violent outcomes will be things like falling into a, uh, a gorse bush and the indignity of removing pricks from yourself. So it's very low stakes in terms of what can happen to your character. Nobody's going to die or anything like that. I think this is sort of the perfect kind of game that you can use to introduce your children uh, or just not even your children, just any small, small, small players, tiny players to uh tabletop role playing games and i guess in this case it would be tabletop role pooing games <laughs> and uh because you're just sort of teaching them how to tell a story collaboratively and much like whose line is it anyway it, you know it's all made up and the points don't matter you're you're not rolling dice on any kind of life or death decisions on here uh it is two dollars uh and it is not pay what you want, so you have to pay $2, but it is so worth it. It's You get a 14-page book uh, PDF that comes with it, and inside there, there's even a map of the 100-acre woods, and it's just really charming. It's, it's really cute. I would encourage folks, if you see $2 and you think, that's a steal, you know, you could throw five in there instead. That's part of the beauty of Itch, is that, mm -hmm. like, even when they set a price, you can pay a little bit more if you're like, this person is underselling the value of their work. Mm -hmm. And also, uh, one of the things Neil Walker set up on here is community copies. So uh, for every dollar spent on a purchase of the game, uh, they add another community copy to it. So by spending, if you can afford $5, uh, you are able to uh, help out five people who maybe can't afford $2 to get it. So keep that in mind but i 
I love, I'm just such a huge fan of public domain stuff being repurposed. I think this is uh, just fantastic. Um, I'm always excited to see what creative people can do with an existing property and twist it and turn it in different ways and make something with it. I even like, even to the people making the, the Winnie the Pooh blood and honey movie. Like I I've always said, I appreciate big creative swings, whether you succeed or fail. I appreciate that you went to the effort of doing the thing, uh, especially if it's something that nobody else was really expecting to happen. I've sort of talked off at a tear on this, so I'd just like to get your your reaction, Josh. I'm tremendously excited about this. I will say from our uh, Scratch That Indie Itch from two weeks ago, I don't think you could be further removed from one property to another. <laughs> now, now, depending <laughs> on uh, how Blood and Honey turns out, you could maybe take that and adapt it to a Mothership game. Oh, I didn't even think about that. Your spaceship crashes in this dark hundred acre <laughs> woods and you have to you have to navigate your way out of it while like a, a fungal zombie, Christopher Robin and, uh, you know, a murderous rabid Eeyore or something are chasing after you. Oh, my God. No, I'm really I'm really charmed by this. I really appreciate the uh the art looks like, I don't know if those are actually illustrations from the original books, but they certainly look like them. Some of them are because they're, um, I saw a date on one of them of 1926 and uh, 1926 content was what entered the public domain this year. That makes perfect sense. Mm -hmm. And I, I really like the idea of having like a cute little have your own Winnie the Pooh adventures book. Like, that's really fantastic. I'm so glad people are making stuff like this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now, you know what would be really good if somebody was able to get folks like um, Ewan McGregor and Jim Cummings to actually like play this on Twitch for charity or something like that. Oh, um, my God. Because Jim Cummings took over the voice of Winnie the Pooh and he and he was Winnie the Pooh's voice in the Christopher Robin movie. And it's perfect. It's it, it was absolutely <laughs> perfect. Uh let me actually look that up so I don't make a fool of myself. Um, Winnie. I feel like I feel like we have to be the ones to suggest this to all involved parties. Like we have to be the ones to be like, "Hey, were you guys aware of this? Maybe mm -hmm. you should do something for like a fundraiser or something." We'd be happy to put that on for you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, I'm looking up when Jim Cummings took over Winnie the Pooh's voice. Uh, he he replaced Winnie the Pooh in 1988, so he has been the voice of Winnie the Pooh since I was like seven years old. But I grew up watching the stuff that was made before 1988, so my voice memory of Winnie the Pooh is from uh, Sterling Holloway. But Jim Cummings can do any voice, so oh, interesting. I I just this here's another digression. Um, Jim Cummings' full name is James Jonah Cummings, so he's J. Jonah Cummings. That's a, that was a real <laughs> missed opportunity for him to change his name. Um, Jim Cummings, who I actually know best as Darkwing Duck. Mm, I do enjoy some Darkwing Duck on occasion. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I wonder if there's a Darkwing Duck uh, like free TTRPG on... Uh, on itch oh there are several uh fan-made darkwing duck video games on itch 
Well, that's not surprising. No. Uh, no. Well, if there if there is a free Darkwing Duck TTRPG, maybe we should save that for our next Scratch by Andy Itch. Yeah, I'd have to look for it because I can't immediately <laughs> find it. Uh, we'll get dangerous with that later. But yes, um, that's all I've got for the Winnie the Pooh storytelling game. Uh, so uh, unless you have anything else, I think we need to throw to ourselves and our inner our G. Edward Patterson interview of questionable audio quality. Yes, I think uh, I don't think I have anything else. So we will turn it over now to ourselves and G. Edward Patterson III in an interview already in progress. Ta-da! Okay, we were at Germany in the 70s making industrial music. Yeah, so play that to my 14-year-old daughter. (laughs) And she's like, well, that's that's a bunch of total crap. Yeah, I... Um, I, I run tables like really loose and I've got some regular folks who show up at my pickup game tables that have now played with me for years. And I, I do have kind of a shorthand about how we interact with each other. And I know if I sat down and tried to run that for like run that way for like the guys I played with when I was in high school, it would not go over well just because it was an entirely different style of play that we had at the time versus now we were very much rules bound with second edition back then and now I play fifth edition so, like so loose that occasionally I use dice to help me make decisions. Uh, but <laughs> that's kind of it, really. Uh, somebody was asking me not too long ago, like, hey, where's your player's handbook? Uh, and I said, you know, honest to God, I couldn't tell you where it is because it's been <laughs> years since I had to reference it for anything just because right. I make up so much stuff. You you tell me what's going on with your character sheet and I'll just roll some crap. Yeah, exactly. I always tell my players, like, you are responsible for yourself and all your spells and everything you know you just tell me about that and we'll figure out how that's going to play out in the wider universe of what we're trying to do here tonight yeah it's it's good to have that trust system because you don't want to you don't want to dm and track people's torches yeah you don't want to track arrows no it's got to be on an honor system yeah yeah, if you can't, I've, I've, I've always said that like playing a role playing game with people is in many ways just a gigantic trust exercise that you have scheduling problems with because uh, <laughs> yeah. you have to do stuff like that. You have to trust people enough to be able to let your sort of barriers down so you can be silly and do voices and really go over the top with your characters and things like that. So, yeah, that you really do have to build that sort of bubble with people. To be able yeah, to and that's play. hard. Yeah, public DMing is that that is that is very brave of you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. Especially because I was using it to get over, like I used it as a tool to help get over like anxiety over public speaking and things like that. So <laughs> instead of the toasters club. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Do, doing that to get over that kind of anxiety is like saying, you know, I want to stop being weak against bullets, so I'm just going to let people shoot <laughs> just... me over and over again. <laughs> Just going to stand in this dangerous intersection and see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, were, I will um, say oh, go before ahead, we before we move forward, uh, I will say the thing I noticed when you were talking about trying to keep things vague, that ended up being our solution as well for creating something that anyone could run because no one was going to run it exactly the way we would. We needed to get rid of a lot of the like personalization and be like, that's going to happen at my table. At my table, this is exactly how these interactions will go. For your table, I don't know. Here's where you're headed. And ha- here's some general idea of how you get there. And you figure it out from there, friend. 
Yeah, I try to have like a couple archetypes in my heads. And a lot of them are people who I genuinely did not like playing games with. <laughs> so it would just be like, well, so like, you know, like I, I had a, a a good friend. I mean, he just. <laughs> All right, wait, let me rewind for a second. Everyone plays role playing games in a way that just is such a window into their personality. Right. Mm -hmm. It's the same way that like when people play a musical instrument, it's their personality. If you know the instrument, you know the person and then they play it. You're like, well, that, that's obviously how they would play. Right. It's the same thing with role playing games. So I had a friend who was like a bouncer who was studying to be a lawyer. And <laughs> he was like the worst power gamer. And I played a whole riffs campaign with him and he had like a juicer character, of course. <laughs> and he's like, it's just like, it was like all so on the nose, but all he wanted to do with role playing basically was like beat up the people he wished he could beat up at work. <laughs> It was a very cathartic exercise. For yeah, exactly. And it's like, <laughs> it's like exactly what I don't like. It's like, that's my, that's my goofus. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so it's like, I don't want, uh, I don't want power gaming at my table. I have no use for it. But at the same time, like if someone starts power gaming, that's actually kind of fun because as a DM, you can, you know, you can undermine it pretty easily. But, but anyway, so when you create content, you're like, okay, so, so what would he do? You know, like, what are all these different, what are all these different archetypes? I know these people who take everything in these one particular way that go off the rails in the same way. If you have enough of them in your head, you've kind of covered what most people would do. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that that's one of the tricks, but, you know, and then that's why, you know, I wish, I think public DMing is something it would be fun to do because I'd, I'd love to learn like random people's weird quirks, right? It's so it's so weird. And I know Josh can speak to this, too, but because especially in the beginning when we didn't really know a lot of our regulars, uh, you know, we weren't kind of comfortable with certain people, just total random people would show up and you would have absolutely no idea what was going to happen. Like you could look at them and maybe hope that you could get a read on the kind of player they would be just by maybe the T-shirt that they were wearing or, or something like that. And sometimes you'd be spot on. Sometimes they'd completely surprise you. And there are plenty of times when I would just be sitting there and somebody would talk about their action, uh, you know, at, like outside of combat, just like what they're going to do. And I would just like, like turn my head and just have to stare at them for like five, 10 seconds <laughs> while I like, I was just calculating everything that I was going to have to do to make, cause I, I always try to get folks to yes. Uh, like, Hey, I want to do this thing. Okay, let's find a way to make this happen. What do I need to do to put you in this car so you can drive off this lot today kind of attitude? And it can be like a real weird negotiation sometime when you have absolutely no idea what to expect to come out of that person's mouth next when they're trying to talk about something. Josh, like I know I know you've had this, experiences like that. This is the worst when running public games for teenagers because getting getting teenagers to yes with the table at large is basically a non-starter. Uh, you, you kind of are like maneuvering pieces at the same time because every single time I sit down at a table full of teenagers, they're always like, all right, so we're going to stop trying to do the thing we're trying to do and we're going to start fighting each other. And I'm like, well, okay, 
while you're fighting each other, the thing you're trying to do is coming to kill you. So it is now the greater nuisance in the room. And they're like, oh, God. Well, let's take care of that so we can get back to fighting each other. And it's like, <laughs> okay, that works. That's fine. I, I feel like it's a weird dynamic with teenagers because you're kind of their teacher. Yeah. And so it's there's a, a higher adversarial level with teenagers. Like I do yeah. a lot of, um, so I got two kids, one's 10 and one's 14. And the one that was 14, I ran a big campaign that got totally out of control when she was like nine. And um, it ended up, we ended up with 10 people at the table at its oh peak. Oh my God. 10, that's so many that's people. 10 year olds. <laughs> oh God. But it was like, it was like, I was kind of like, in a sense, I was loving it because I'm like, you know, it was like this, this, you know, D and D game I was playing beyond the wall. It was getting like so popular that like all these, you know, like neighbors were calling me and like parents were calling me like, can you please get my kid in your game? Like <laughs> they heard about it at school and they really want to get in. And I was like, oh, I'm so cool. Like, you know, I'm running this like <laughs> fourth graders, right? And um, and that was like, in it was insane. But fourth graders so fully they have no problems with immersion whatsoever like they have a problems with too much immersion like there was so much crying oh and like i try not to do it but like and, and my and my 14 year old will still talk about like she had this like amazing moment she had a goat i love i love you know there's a moment where i'm like i love my daughter she's playing DD just like i play DD. so she has this goat and they're like crossing this bridge and there's these like fish attacking them um and the fish are like stat they're like flying through people and they're killing everyone and they realize like okay so we can like get in the wagon and the goat will take us across but the goat is the only thing that's going to get hit by these fish and my daughter's like it took her so long what oh what a time to freeze yeah oh! <laughs> <laughs> she's the only She's you the only healer in the party. So they get to the other side. So I have a thing where it's like, okay, so the, the cart is providing you with like armor, but some of these fish are shooting through this cart. Mm -hmm. So everyone's like totally bloody, totally injured. And she uses all of her healing spells on her goat. Aw. None on the players. And they're pissed. <laughs> <laughs> but the goat and was they innocent. Are still, they are still mad to this day. And they still, <laughs> like she's still like, uh, August is still mad at me. <laughs> like, I never healed him and like he was so pissed and like it was it was like it was a great it was a great moment they have no trouble with immersion and yeah I, I can't imagine now she's 14 I can't even imagine getting her and her friends around the table it would be a disaster she just dropped it completely yeah yeah <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I, I quit playing for, for pretty much all of college and then several years after that, just because I was like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get away from this a little bit. Kind of like what you were saying about like discovering girls and stuff. Yeah. Like I had Are to focus girls on girls there. Yeah, I had to focus on college and started to give a not insignificant portion of my attention to women <laughs> at the time. So, yeah, I wish I, I mean, I wish I played in college. But yeah, uh, I do. I, I do, too, because I didn't realize it at the time, just what a perfect period it would have been to have so many like D&D &D oh. experiences. <laughs> and I had like I had people like people. 
everyone, we all knew, I went to like a nerdy, arty college. So we all knew that we were nerds. Mm -hmm. And I had a friend who was like a LARPer. And he's like, I know you're a nerd. And I like, you need, you need to fight me with this foam sword. And I'm just <laughs> like, I won't, I can't, I can't do it. <laughs> yeah. That LARP, like, LARP was a line I could never cross. I, oh. I, I would love to be, I, I would right now love to be a LARP NPC. <laughs> That's all I'd want to be. I wouldn't want to be a PC, but I'd love to be one of the dudes that like, is just a monster and, and attacks people. I went to, this was years ago. I went to this and I promise this is rel relevant to the conversation of uh, LARP NPCs, but I went to this Halloween event at a local historical home uh, in the area and they That's had, LARPing. It, yeah, basically they had, um, <laughs> they had uh, folks there playing the parts of ghosts of people who used to live uh, at this, at this house way back in the day. And this is, this is actually great LARPing. Yeah, I mean, it was so awkward because they were just like folks from the from the county, like and and the neighborhood, like they weren't actors or anything like that. They were they was just folks, and uh, one was this really old guy, and he was talking about like, well, I died here when I was thirty, and then he sort of looks at himself. He's like, I I got a lot older after that. <laughs> That's that how the afternoon works. That that's the kind of that's the kind of way I would want to be like a LARP NPC, just this super self-aware type <laughs> character. Yeah, that's I want to retire and be one of those people at the museum who dress up in the costume. Mm -hmm. You know, like that's a great. I tried to get my son. Uh, there's a there's a great museum here in Oregon, the High Desert Museum. Highly recommended. Mm -hmm. And they have a little LARPing section where it's like pioneers. And then they have like people. So it's like, it's in Bend, which is just in the middle of the desert. And just these like people dressed up like pioneers. And I'd always get my son. I'd be like, go up to the doctor and tell him you have the bloody flux. <laughs> See what he says. <laughs> and so he'd go up and be like, I hear you bloody flux. <laughs> the doctor would be like, um, I'm a doctor. I go get another It's a sad moment for my... Uh, anyway, the uh, yeah, I, I, I would love to do that. I'd love to retire and do that. That's my dream in life. I want to be a docent. I want to be a tour guide. I think it's like it, it's all DMing, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, really, you're you're guiding people through a narrative. Yeah. If you boil everything else away. Oh, I'd love to. I'd love to be a, a docent and tell people nine right things and one wrong thing, and just see if they can figure it out or just, just let see, them go tell yeah. that story around the water cooler or something. Oh, you get to repeat it. So sometimes you could ahead of time, you'd be like, I'm going to tell you, you know, nine wrong things and one right thing or well, the opposite. <laughs> and then, <laughs> and then, or you could, or you could just at the end of the day, you could be like, I told you something so wrong. <laughs> and you'll never know you'll, what you it won't was. Know what it is. Well, it was my, my old party trick was I would, if, if, uh, I was bored. I would tell people that white chocolate was a kind of cheese. <laughs> Just totally sincerely. It's so like, specific. What? It has to be true. Yeah. Why would this person tell me that white chocolate? You know what I learned today is that white chocolate is a kind of cheese. <laughs> and I'd be like, what? And I'd be like, yeah, nobody knows this, but it's true. Just think about it. It's not chocolate. It's cheese. So and you then said you just that... leave. You said that you went to like an arty college. Do you work in the arts? No. 
No, I do not. I, 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 I have previously, I was a musician for a while. Mm -hmm. Um, you can see a, a, a variety I'm, I'm, oh, they just took it down. Um, there's a picture of me, uh, greatest white girl hip hop moments in spin magazine. Um, <laughs> that's right. I'll leave it at that. Okay. <laughs> um, so yeah, no, I, I, you know, I, I, well, first of all, like music is, um, when I think of like music composition and forming a band and stuff like that, it's almost identical to RPGs. The musician mm -hmm. scene is identical to like the RPG creator scene. Mm -hmm. um, same petty rivalries, um, same like, you know, balkanization of like, oh, these people are stupid. Like, oh, I can't believe, you know, I can't believe the bro SR, man. They're so dumb. <laughs> Do people come like, what's what's the Watsy of that scene? What's the Wizards of the Coast of the the, the band scene? Of oh, of bands? Well, that then that's major label. That's like okay. oh, you've got a major label, you've sold out. Yeah, keep yeah. going. I'll, I'll... Yeah. <laughs> no, that that math makes perfect sense to me. <laughs> yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah, that's, oh, that's interesting. That that's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> Especially because I was doing music in the '90s, so it was all about like, "Oh, are you selling out?" Like I had some, I had some friends I went to college with, and they formed a band that was like medium successful. Like they, they, they were like they didn't have day jobs, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, Chev GM offered them a half million dollars or a quarter million dollars for an ad for a Hummer, and they were like, "No, that will ruin my band name." Oh my god. Oh my God. And I was Ugh. like, what? No, Let's just form another <laughs> band. Yeah. Yeah. Make, really? Make the money. Take the money. Go <laughs> get paid. The dream yeah. is getting paid. <laughs> exactly. It's kind of the point. And, you know, <laughs> their band still exists to this day. You can still see them and they, you know, but. They like live in separate countries and, you know, and they never made that. I, I, they would like their life would have literally been the same, except for all of them would have, be, you know, been able to buy a house when they were like 25. Yeah. That's a shame. I, I appreciate people who have principles with their art, but that has to be tempered by looking at your checking account sometimes and making some wise decisions for the future. Like maybe we should record this Hummer commercial so I can fully fund my Roth IRA for the next six years. Yeah. And you're like a band. You could easily just come out with another album being like, Jim's dumb. You know? <laughs> We've already got their money. <laughs> yeah. I mean, whatever we want. Yeah. I mean, there's no like long, you know, what are they going to do? They can't take back the money. <laughs> well, I guess they can see you. I guess that that's probably terrible advice, but still. <laughs> yeah. Your opinions are your own and should not be construed as legal advice uh, under any circumstances. Is that, yeah. <laughs> yes, that's, uh, uh, you know, Josh, uh, put that in the beginning of this podcast, please. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. We can, we can preface the whole thing is, with. This is not uh, legal advice. G, yeah. G. Edward Patterson is not a lawyer and does not give legal advice. Even, even though his name sounds like he's a lawyer. Yeah. <laughs> he is in fact not a lawyer. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Please take my legal advice. I, I will. There's been a lot of talk in the TTRPG community lately about like, oh, well, like you don't want to sign with somebody like Wizards. You don't want to sign with somebody like Pathfinder because, you know, they pay you. Sure. But like, think of the principle of it. And I'm I'm over here like I 
every time a fan approaches us and it's like, oh my God, you do D and D? And I'm like, yes. And they're like, for a living? And I'm like, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> not not even a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I've had so many people ask like what it's like to do that full time. And I'm like, I don't know if I ever get there, I'll tell you. <laughs> Yeah, but it, I get, but I would just say, you know, I've, I, you know, I'm, I'm an old man. Um, I don't think it's worth it. Like it's not for it's, the pay scale. No, just work a part-time, you know, you can, you can, you can get old and find yourself in a part-time job that pays pretty well. Mm-hmm. And you can just do it as like a, a super hobby. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And then you have no pressure. So like, Oh, I have a, a project that I have coming out. Fantastic. Uh, it's I called was the honest. For it if you didn't get there oh. yourself. Oh, hello. <laughs> it's called the Honest in Plain Village of Skio, and it's the sort of like it's a uh, setting. It's a uh, something I I think is somewhat underserved. It's like the, it's not the dungeon. Wait, here I am. It's the mm-hmm. town. Mm-hmm. So it's just like a, it's like a town to to see dungeons, and it's also um, part of uh, a larger setting, which is a mythic Oregon. I'm Oregon based. Mm-hmm. Oricon, um, which is the original vague name of Oregon. And it's this kind of, uh, it's basically like all of Oregon history. You know, this is the time, right? Yeah. <laughs> Shooting through here, squeezed into a medieval period that doesn't exist. Um, and anyway, my point is, is I was thinking of doing it for Zine Quest. And I'm just like, I don't know, I'm not ready. <laughs> I don't like, need. What do you need to be ready on that? Like, do you no, have it all? Are you... It's not done. I mean, right? But I have to like push myself to get it done, and I'm just like, I don't. I mean, I just don't have. I don't have that pressure, Mm -hmm. so I don't have to compromise. Like you know, so I put out my first product. It's 250 pages, with a hundred and something illustrations. Each one of those illustrations took me like a day. You know, like it's an insane amount of work. But I don't need to worry about timelines or anything. I just put it out there. I don't need to worry about sales. Yeah, for Grotesworth, like I know you had a lot of it written already because of your ongoing, you know, qu- quarter of century project there. But like once you actually said, "Hey, I'm going to put this book out," like from there until actually putting it out in the world. Yeah, it was a full year. Well, because I did everything, I laid it out. I hired an editor. Mm-hmm. Um, but beyond that, I did. You know, I mean, I had to sit there and struggle with drive-through RPG. I had to learn about the Japan 2002 color profile, um, <laughs> which I'm still struggling with. Um, like the color, and, and they do this awful thing where you, you know, you put your, you put your book out to them and uh, you know, it takes like two weeks to get back to you. And they're like, do you like it? And you're like, no, it's screwed up. And then you yeah. fix it and then you send it back to them and then they send it back to you. And it's like another four weeks. And yeah. We don't like, we've never sent any of our stuff to drive through RPG. We, we get it all like we get it all printed and then we just sell it direct. We have like one brick and mortar location that we work with and then we sell stuff at cons and occasionally through the mail and stuff like that. We've never scaled it up because we know none of us are uh, in any way, shape or form going to keep up with uh, fulfillment <laughs> for anything like that, like mailing stuff out. Yeah. But that, well, that's the beauty of a uh, uh, print on demand is, you know, mm-hmm. what I mean? Yeah, you can yeah, just go I, there and order my book. I don't have anything to do with it. They just give me like two two bucks. Yeah, I finally I finally got us set up with Lulu.com. So yeah, uh, yeah. So we'll uh, we'll hopefully be uploading some stuff there soon. But it was just something I never really wanted to tackle. Um, I guess when you laid out your book, were you doing that in InDesign? 
I actually produced the entire book on a $200 Chromebook uh-huh. um, with a $5 drawing app, and I got Lucid Press. Nice. Um, which is like a subscription based mm-hmm. one. And um, I had to break down when I did the print on demand, it was not working. Um, I had to break down and get uh, Adobe Creative Suite to make because you can't make anything. You can't print anything from those online programs. Yeah. Now, I, I only ask I'm only getting in the weeds on that. I, I was a designer for like 15 years, so I, I still to this day use Creative Suite like pretty heavily. But I work as a as a writer and copy editor now, but I'm always curious about what people do to put stuff together. Like Josh and I know this other guy. Um, he's a, a Brazilian designer, uh, Cesar Capacle, and he um, does all his stuff in Canva. And I'm like, how? How do you do it all in Canva? That's punishing yourself. Canva, he must not do long things. No, he he does a lot of like short form adventure type stuff. Yeah. His whole thing is he like he likes to push the boundaries of what can be considered a game. So a lot of his stuff ends up being like kind of micro RPG. But yeah. lately he has been releasing like longer, like 50 plus page uh, like That's, adventures, SRDs. I had a moment with Lucid Press where the file I had to like seriously change the way I, I did my workflow because I got to 50 pages and it was just like crashing. And <laughs> I was like, too I am like a fifth done with this and it's crashing on me. Like it's not designed to have a book with these like giant, well, you, as, as, uh, Josh just experienced, um, it's like 300 megabytes. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah. it's two thirds of a gigabyte. It's 660 and change. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. Never mind. Yeah our, yeah, our listeners will not be surprised to know that right before we started recording, I was like, Josh, you you downloaded your copy of Growthworth, right? He's like, ah, <laughs> not even a little bit. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, for for what you use to put it together, especially if you like started doing most of it that way, like this thing looks fantastic. This looks so like professionally done. It It's amazing. It looks great. Well, uh, you know, I'm old. So I started with... <laughs> I took I took graphic design in high school and I worked with an optical typesetter. Nice. And like two room cameras. And I used to do masking on Ruby Lith. Mm-hmm. Um, and I uh, yeah, I've got some I've got a little bit of graphic background. Never yeah, professional. I, I was I was fortunate. I'm I'm 40. So when I was in college, it was like 1999, 2000 when I was really getting into that stuff. And it was right after everybody switched over to like a digital typesetting yeah. and com- computer to plate stuff. So I never had to worry about doing like paste up or anything like that. I was right. Oh, this is this is going to be fascinate your listeners with these stories. I was <laughs> I was right there. I went to college. So I, I'm not I'm not that much older than you. I'm turning 50. Um, when I went to college, it was right at the transition point and I showed up and I was like, oh, I need a job. And I walked into the print shop and I was like, I can do all this. I can operate that print press. I can operate an offset press. And um, they were like, oh, we need someone to do stripping, um, which is, maybe you know what stripping is. No, um, actually, I don't. I've, it's like I've heard you... that's one way to get through college. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. yeah. exactly. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like. Uh, Cause you have to make the plates for the press. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and the plates, it's all, um, you know, it's all like a, a optical process. And, um, so you have the, the type, the typesetter sets you, gives you the type and then you have to kind of like block it off with this stuff and you literally lay it on the piece of metal mm-hmm. and then you expose it. And then, you know, 
go through all the exposure process, use chemicals to get it off. And then you have this metal plate and you bring it over to the printer. Um, and they were just like, Oh wow. Like, you know, you're hired right away. Um, like you have like professional printmaking skills. And, um, so, you know, I'm working for, you know, $4 and 30 cents an hour or whatever. And, uh, and then the year after that, they were like, shut it down. <laughs> like, this is insanely stupid. You know, cause it's like, it's like film. It's like everything mm -hmm. costs, every page costs so much money. In and the, they're just like, in, in the spirit of fascinating our listeners with ancient tales of old technology. Uh, when I was in college, I was the editor of my student paper and it was, uh, the paper was owned by like owned and operated by the journalism school, but they like didn't tell us what to do or anything like that. So we got our funding from the student government. And one time our newspaper advisor had to go to a student government meeting to like have a budget conversation. And the president of the student government at the time, who was like this 21 year old guy uh, was like, well, you know, I really think we're spending a lot of money having the paper printed at the like the actual newspaper downtown you know that's like several thousand dollars a year that i don't think we need to spend how much would it cost for us to have our own press on campus that we could use and she just looked at him like he was the biggest idiot in the world which it was not an unfair way to assess the situation and it was like millions of dollars he's like yeah i mean i know it would be expensive but like how much would millions of dollars <laughs> and the conversation died right there and to the best of my knowledge the university still does not have its own printing press even though they press, could probably yeah. get one for relatively cheap now from one of the many that uh uh venture capitalist firms are shutting down after they buy oh yeah numbers. but then you have to operate it like yeah no, exactly literally no one and there's no parts and those things always broke yeah yeah my uh my old company had a fire at one of their presses they had three and they actually were able to like fund a great portion of the company from the insurance settlement they got after the press like burned to the ground. Uh, so they they took all the parts out of it that could be saved and used them for spares for the other two. And then they just had millions of dollars from the insurance settlement. <laughs> and they just rolled with it. Printing history here. Yeah, this will be this will be a Patreon exclusive portion of this interview. <laughs> I would love to talk about this optical typesetter. It was so cool. Yeah. But I want to, I want to give you the opportunity to talk a little bit more about your other project a little bit more. You, okay, you yeah. sort of like skim the surface of it, but what was it called again? Okay. So this is the honest and plain village of Skio, And it's okay. just, it's just a town for your dungeon. Um, but there's a couple, uh, there's a couple fun things that I'm doing here. It's, uh, one is um, if you if you go to my uh, oh yeah so I have my company's called the uh, um, Skull is a complete gentleman company uh, that's how you can find me on Drive Through RPG um, I also really like making uh, sort of like stupid little mini games um, to kind of bust out on your table like I have a little uh, fishing game mm -hmm. um, where you actually it's it's a drop table but it's like skill based like you're actually like aiming for a target with a D four oh, cool. which is of course the least good die to aim for anything with mm -hmm. um and it's it, so you, you you know you hit the center you have a good catch you know you you screw up um and then things get bad right um so this also has a mini game of tennis so in the town tennis is really a it's a really big thing and they also have like an entire uh they have grand tennis which is the entire town that's uh replicating you know like a grand you know about grand football no so um entire medieval 
Western European towns used to play football, the entire town. Really? And they would have goals and they would just like sit there and like punch each other. There were no rules. <laughs> Uh, but except for you couldn't use your hands and you just kick this thing and you just punch people and try to get into the goals. Um, and then there's this great history with tennis, which was also a medieval Western European thing. Um, and um, tennis was the, you know, it was like the sport of Kings. Um, nobles really liked playing it, but uh, at the same time, it was also like cursed, like nobles. Uh, many European monarchs have died while playing tennis. And that's not a huge population. So it was like, you have a statistically relevant chance of dying if you're a monarch in Western Europe while you're playing tennis. <laughs> so, um, so there's, there's tennis, you can, and that's a mini game. It's like a little board game. And what I really wanted to do was to have a, a board game that your characters would play. And this goes back to a theory where like, you, can, you can't play D&D in Monopoly, but you can play Monopoly in D&D. Like you could just set up a scenario where it's like, well, now we're playing Monopoly and it could make sense. It's feasible. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to make, but I, what I really wanted was like to be like, okay, but what does the fighter do when they play Monopoly? What does the magic user do when they play Monopoly? So it's a tennis game where you actually use your, your character. So, you know, magic users cast spells, thieves do tricks. They, they climb up the wall, do trick shots. Uh, fighters just pound the crap out of the ball, go right down the middle, try to like blow the other person. And it's like a little board game and you progress and there's like a little chit that goes back and forth. It's not great. It's just supposed to pay, take like 20 minutes, right? I mean, it's a cool idea. I love, I love anything that sort of uh, turns it a little bit meta almost and uh, makes you sort of question the convention of the game and like turn it on its head a little bit. I love little additions like that. So it like, even if, even if it's not that good, I think it's, it sounds really cool. Yeah. It's well, the idea is, it's just like it, it, it's switch it, and you get to stay in character too. I think that's like the important thing. Mm -hmm. it's like, so like with the fishing game, you're doing this thing where you're like literally like dropping a dime, it falls off and you're like, Oh, you, you suck at fishing. And then like someone else at the table grabs it. Like, give me this. I can do this. You know, and there's this like whole trick. <laughs> you can do. And same thing with like the tennis game is there's like a tennis champion in town and he's just like, he's like a, jock asshole and he's like part of the nobles retina and and they they kind of they're one of the people that run the town but like you can always defeat him by by playing tennis right so you can you can try to fight him or you can like fight him with tennis and then the thieves guild of course they really like they always win the grand tennis game because they cheat but they've never won the individual tennis game so you've got this opportunity like you can get into the thieves guild if you if you bring the the tennis medal to them that will let you in. Um, there's <laughs> also, this. here's another, this is, this is, this may not end up because I, this is the last thing I'm developing. Um, I've invented this thing called the trial dungeon. So I wanted to come up with a trial procedure. I wanted to, in the middle of the game, it switches over to a procedural drama, just like on TV. And it's like, okay, now we're going into the trial phase of this. And you're arrested and you have to, you know, you have to do discovery. You got to hire people to get evidence and all this kind of stuff. And I'm trying to figure out how to organize it. And I thought like a trial point crawl would be really good. 
um, where you just start and you progress to these, you know, you make these important decisions. It's relatively railroady, but you have like two or three choices. It's like, you know, um, you know, like, uh, they bring this evidence against you. It's looking terrible. Like, what do you do? Do you go on the stand? Do you bring witnesses on the stand? And then those are choices and they lead to different nodes. And then that way I got to pepper in all of the, like, and so each of the nodes is like a trope from a trial show. <laughs> so like, you know, it goes down to like the judge falls in love with you. <laughs> um, like all these crazy things that can happen at trial. No, it's you. And like things like unmasking and stuff like that. And those are, and then I realized um, it's actually a little bit easier to organize as a dungeon because a dungeon is just a, a, a logical framework, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like you go into a room and that room is a scene. It's a courtroom scene. And then there's ways out of that room. There's doors out of that room. How do you leave that room? Those are your decisions that you make. Like, okay, so this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to really lean into this thing. Um, I'm going to get off because of this piece of evidence so that you go down that corridor. So in that corridor, there's wandering monsters. <laughs> So the wandering monsters are like, uh-oh, you know, a goose grabbed your evidence and flew away. <laughs> <laughs> Geese are really important in this game. Geese are, they're kind of messing with the whole town. And uh, so you got to get that, you know, you got to get that back. You can't, you can't get to the next room until you get that back. And then you get to the next room and it moves on to the different parts of the trial. And so what I was able to, it, I, what I really wanted to do was like, you know, I just go through tvtropes.com. Mm-hmm. And you just get all those like TV trial tropes and those are all the different rooms and you, but you have a choice, like your decisions affect where, which tropes you run into. How big of a dungeon is it? It's not very big. I mean, this, again, this is supposed to be like, so the, the idea is it's like, it's supporting the dungeon. It's like you go into, you go into this trial. It's supposed to take like a half hour. Mm -hmm. So it's like a it's like a five room dungeon, except for it's shaped more like yeah. it ends up being more like a logic tree. Right. But it's just uh, basically the back half of Law and Order. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yes. It's the back half of Law and Order. It's all those like little things. And then you can do, you know, you can run away and do things. And then also you can you perform as like what I think is important with this is you perform as your character. So you stay in the immersion. So like you go in there. So of course the magic users are casting charm spells all over the place. And they, you know, the fighters are just like stabbing people, <laughs> um, you know, and it's not a normal trial. Like it comes down to like various, like weird ordeals, um, mm -hmm. like actual historical ordeals. Like uh, I was just reading about this ordeal where they would put um, a piece of bread and a piece of cheese in your mouth. And if you were able to swallow it, well, you were innocent. And that's a real, real way of justice. Um, so, you know, so you reach these like crazy points like that. And then you're just like, oh, crap, here's my, okay, you got to, you got to swallow this cheese. It's like, well, you know, what is that? Well, is that like, and then you get the option, like, is that a dexterity check? Do you have any skills? Do you have sleight of hand? You just, whoop. <laughs> the thief gets right out of that, you know? magic user you know maybe you could uh i'm trying to think like what spell could help you there you could you know there's this like summon water kind of spell, or purify food and drink yeah dimension door it just right out of your mouth yeah, you can dimension door it right out it gives you that opportunity <laughs> so it's, you know it's all about cheating you know uh, <laughs> the whole town well that's why it's called the uh, honest in plain village is that it's you know it's the opposite it's, it's mm -hmm. very corrupt it's very so are you imagining this is just like a full-on like sort of uh like supplement type book 
sort of thing once you get oh, it finished. It's, yeah, it's I mean it's 75 pages so far. I mean it's like okay. it's oh it's it's just like my other product. It's just like completely it, it's uh it completely expanded beyond what it should be. <laughs> it's it's packed to the gills. It's a town. Yeah, because it was the town. So I was running uh, I, for like uh, this fall, it, like to celebrate. I, I did an in-person campaign to celebrate the, you know, your, the pandemic's over, right? Right, right, right. <laughs> it, was, it was this last fall and I'm like, let's do an outdoor. We can do it outdoors. Um, and I had like a fire pit and then it started getting cold and we, then we gave up. Um, <laughs> we went indoors. We just were like, ah, fuck. but um but I was doing a hole in the oak, you know, it was like a, a couple non-gamers, a couple gamers. And uh, we, I did hole in the oak and then I, I started developing this town and I was trying to get them to uh, demon driven to the mall, or I think that's the name. Um, mm -hmm. And if they just got stuck in the town because I just, every session, I just like developed these stupid town things. <laughs> um, and like, it just kind of got lost. Yeah. I'm a big fan of the Andy Griffith show. I've always wanted to run a game where you're just going around Mayberry, putting up with like the nonsense that Sheriff Andy Taylor has to put up with on any given day with like moonshiners or Ernest T. Bass or some band oh, yeah. coming to town, making too much noise or something like that. Yeah. Town adventures are really easy because it's like that. That would be really so this the basic structure of this is a point crawl. Um, and then so, you know, you've got your little set things at the points, but then every time you travel, it's a random town event mm -hmm. um and then they all relate you know so it's a thing where it's like there's no plot to it but i've taken a million plots and stuck them through all these tables right so that would work totally well with mayberry because it's just like oh i'm just trying to you know i gotta go let's go get a drink and then on your way to the drink this thing happens yeah and you're just, it's really a way to just to keep your players occupied yeah yeah like like probably probably too much <laughs> Like my players just got stuck in town. You know, it's a whole thing. It's just like, like there's rules on like getting drunk. Um, there's a thing called soil beer. It makes you drunk in a weird way. And then there's a table like, oh, like every time you have another drink, there's a chance that you pass out and do weird things. And you have absolutely no target release date for this. It's going to come out when it's done. Gonna, exactly it's gonna come out when it's done uh i feel like i'm two weeks from finishing the text and then i gotta i haven't thought about an editor yet and then i'm gonna work on the illustrations so fall okay i'd love <laughs> to see it when it's winter. done i would uh i would love to sit down and read that and just see how mayberry i could make it <laughs> it would be very mayberry compatible there's a lot of like uh it's all about like you know it's all about like the quirky town mm-hmm and do There's you think a lot you're... Of... Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. There's a big thing I did, which I found this great book. It's like a 12th century Arabic book. Uh, there's an English translation called the book of charlatans. And it's someone's guide to um, avoiding charlatans in towns and all of their confidence games. Uh huh. So it's like semi his it's historical, but he's embellishing. Right. Mm hmm. And it is like a treasure trove. Um, every con is so ridiculous. And so it's like, there's like a thousand, uh, well, no, no, there's like, there's a, there's a random table of many, many, many more cons than you'd ever need. <laughs> and, and they're all like, they're, the book itself is absolutely amazing because it's like a trip advisor entries. Uh -huh. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, you go to this town and then this dude, like all the cons are so bad. 
Um, and then he gives you a warning and, and the way it's translated is amazing. Cause it's like, heads up, don't be an idiot. Don't fall for this. <laughs> and, and there it's like ridiculous. Cause it's like the 12th century. So it's about magic and stuff. It's like, Oh, this person's going to convince you that you lost Like your head came off, but it didn't <laughs> one star. <laughs> exactly. One star <laughs> in this town. That's I see a cat. Yeah. I closed the door. So my cats can't get in. I think that's I've, the sign. The cat appears and then we got to go, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Cause I got to get ready to go to bed. Cause it's like, nine yeah. O'clock and I'm very tired. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, we're at 127 here. I figured it was one and then we'd go a half hour over. So we got to. Yeah. Well, don't worry. We'll cut out those 45 minutes. We were talking about offset printing. It'll be fine. <laughs> uh, but uh, before we wrap it up, uh, I want to bring it all the way back around to gross worth of grotesques. So uh, do you think in the offing, like the rest of that is ever going to come out? you know, at some point in the future, like all the other oh, the enormous can... vagueness. Yeah, yeah. I'm working on that. Yeah. Okay. I mean, it's in there. It's in the pipeline. Okay. I've got, uh, I've got a, um, I'm working with someone on a, uh, a, like a, a supplement called the downlands too, which is sort of like a liminal dream space. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I've got this whole, um, you can actually, I mean, if, I don't really advertise it because I haven't put it out yet, but I've got this the whole map of Oregon, a fantasy map of Oregon that you can order off of Etsy that literally no one has ordered um, except for me. <laughs> I just threw it up because it's actually really cheap. If you set up an, if you set up an Etsy shop and, and send yourself stuff, it's actually the cheapest way to print things. Oh, really? Same thing with Drew. We lost you we again. We lost your audio again. <laughs> Yeah, I'm hoping the supplement will be about 75 pages. It only costs about $3 to make a print-on-demand softcover book. That's great. I mean, it doesn't include shipping, but... Right, right, right. But yeah, but you're talk just talking about like your cost as the... Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, that's also... All right, oh, one quick rant before I'm gone. This is my big rant. Okay. I love letter-sized softcover books. If you order... The Gross Worth of Grotesque is meant to be in that format. It's supposed to feel like a workbook. You're supposed to feel like you can draw on it and rip out pages. And it is the cheapest way to print anything. Mm -hmm. So again, my, my cost for 250 pages is like, I think like uh, five bucks. Yeah. Yeah, we do um, all our stuff uh, letter size. And it's, it's like super cheap. Like we printed stuff for like essentially $1.97 a copy or something. Yeah, it's so cheap. And when I see this, like, so this is, this is kind of like a trend of these zines that are like folded over and you get them and, I, you know, it's nothing, you know, I'm an adult, I can afford it, but I'll just be like, this is like 20 pages and I just spent $20 on it. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. that's, and it's not like they're ripping me off. It's just expensive printing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we've talked, Josh and I've talked before just about like how much, can you actually put on the price of creativity, you know, like 20 bucks for a zine like that? Like they're putting the work into it to make it like worth $20, you know, but you know, the prints, they could probably get away with a lot more of a profit margin <laughs> if they didn't you, do it. That you way. could make like an omnibus soft cover. Yeah. Letter version of like 10 zines and get it to your door for 20 bucks. Yeah easy yeah. and with all the creators making about as much money and it would be kinder to your consumer as well yeah yeah so that's a, if, if you probably notice gross worth of grotesques is cheap mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I actually, I know I said last time that I was going to order a print version. I just haven't done that yet. But I promise now that I've spoken to you, I kind of feel like I have to. So I will do that. I can I can send you one. Okay. Okay. <laughs> After this, just, I'm perfectly happy sending you one. Okay. That would be uh, awesome. And I'll we're send gonna, you one too, Josh. We're going to put links to all of your stuff in the show notes. So provide us with all of the, the best and brightest links for all of your things. Especially for your map, because I bet after they hear that no one has bought your map yet, at I least have. one of our listeners will be like, I need to go look at this map and probably buy it. <laughs> I, need, I need to buy a bad map of Oregon. <laughs> <laughs> Do not navigate with this map. Uh, other than your drive through RPG, is there uh, like another spot where folks can I'm, find you? Yeah, I'm Eel Dip on Twitter. Okay. If you search Eel Dip, that's sort of my like, you can see many many years of uh bad forum posts on a variety of forums uh recording forums if you want to know a lot about microphones like this nice sennheiser 441 that i have here you can see me ranting about microphones from you know 2000 to like 2010 um <laughs> eel dip uh and that's where i am on twitter that that probably leads you to everywhere mm -hmm. but you don't have like an itch.io store or anything like that i have the drive-through store okay uh and that just uh, eel dip will not lead you to that <laughs> <laughs> but uh the publishing company is uh skull as a complete gentleman company okay um, that's a literary reference for anyone out there who gets that and uh i'll leave it there does that company have its own website it does i it that's probably still up <laughs> skull as a the skull complete gentleman.com yeah, I, I think it's, I, I, I don't remember what the URL is. Send it to us. <laughs> who, uses, who uses the web now for things? <laughs> I just well, got it. I was like, oh, I'm publishing a book. I should buy this domain name. I should get this Wix account. Um, <laughs> I just slam it together with a template. Yeah, exactly. Wix is pretty, I mean, it's like, it's a pleasure to use. You're like, all right, it looks kind of professional. I guess I could update it someday. I'm sure there's like a million messages waiting for me somewhere. <laughs> You've got all kinds of orders for things. There's like, no, there's like three. <laughs> <laughs> like, ah. I'm really hoping to get to, um, I'm on, you know, I'm on a silver now, hoping to get to Electrum there on <laughs> surprisingly few sales get you to silver. Let's just say that. Kind of like becoming a Twitch affiliate. Like, really, you just have to be conscious and use the platform every once in a while, and you can become a Twitch affiliate. There is surprisingly little money in role-playing games. <laughs> you don't say. Yeah, the uh, Josh and I know uh, somebody who's thinking about getting out of doing full-time content creation just because they're like, I need to eat. <laughs> yeah, don't get, get a part-time job. Be an electrician. Yeah, be a plumber. You can make a lot of money doing that you make a lot of money you make you can work for a company and make 60 bucks an hour here in oregon being an electrician uh that's six figure salary you just work half time yeah and if it. it makes you feel any better you can just think of yourself as a professional artificer do do both call yourself the electrum electrician and be the world's first larping electrician do it that's actually a real josh i want you you show up and you're just like what is this you're like unfrozen caveman lawyer like i don't understand your complicated lightning containers 
Josh, I want you to get on GoDaddy right now and get electromelectrician.com. <laughs> <laughs> um, so G. Edward Patterson III, thank you so much for taking like an hour and a half of your afternoon and jawing with us about Grotesworth of Grotesques, your new projects, offset printing, uh, all kinds of stuff. We didn't even get into gardening. <laughs> we'll have a part two. We'll have a part two for that. All right. Um, yeah. Yeah, we'll do like we did with Joe Donka. We have to split it up into two different parts. If, by the way, if you haven't listened to that episode, you should go back and listen to it. He's the creator of The End, the Christian Apocalypse role-playing game that came out in the 90s. We had this whole thing where we had to track him down because he hasn't been in the industry for years. And oh, we, right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. It's a really, it's a really good listen because uh, he also oh, tells embarrassing stories. I love Christian Apocalypse. It's like my favorite thing. You should you should really listen to that. I think you'll I think you'll enjoy it. Um, and uh, he's he's talking about maybe working on some other projects now. He's like talking to you guys has reawakened some things for me. <laughs> oh, and oh, speaking of the Christian apocalypse, I'm very excited about your uh, Tom Hanks themed episode. Oh yeah, and um, monsters. Yeah, I'm super looking forward to that. Um, I have some great original Satanic Panic material. Maybe I should send it to you. I have two copies of this thing called uh, Entertaining Demons Unawares. Oh and my it's God. like a zine, a Christian zine put out about like how role playing is the devil and Star Wars is the tool of Satan. Um, oh, my God. Please send that to me and I will send it back to you when we're done with it. I promise. <laughs> so you. good. I absolutely love that stuff. Oh, yeah. I've wanted to I've wanted to watch Mazes and Monsters for years. And Josh and I, when we were planning out sort of the, the last part of the year, I was like, "Ooh, Halloween would be a perfect time to yeah. talk about the satanic panic and all that stuff. It's great. It has a great ending. Um, you know, Don't spoil it for me. It's everything. It's everything you want it to be. No spoil. I mean, yeah, I mean, and it'll have it has plenty. It has plenty of boring moments, just like a good 70s, 80s TV movie. Yep. 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 I, it's been a long time. I don't think I've watched a TV movie since the 80s. So, That's great. yeah, especially because there's no commercial. So it'll just be like, and then it'll fade to black for a second. And then we're right back in there. Yeah. I love that moment where you're like, oh, I guess that was a commercial at the time. Josh, I feel like I've dominated a lot of the talking this evening. Do you have any any closing thoughts here? Uh, no, I was I was just going to say thank you so much again for coming on and for uh, Googling yourself and then sending us a Twitter DM. Uh, <laughs> oh, actually, yeah. it wasn't a DM. It was a reply to the post. <laughs> about... Oh, no. Yeah, I went straight on it. Yeah, it was a great moment. <laughs> it got me right out of writer's block because I just gave up on writing that day. <laughs> <laughs> I will I will say for Brandon and I uh, getting that message and that notification, I was like, my ears are burning. What kind of reply to that? Like what? And I open it up and I'm like, Oh, 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 well, this is a pleasant surprise. Hello. I, I'm someone listens to my podcast. Yeah. It was nice <laughs> because you started a domino effect where several other creators that we talked about had uh, reached out to us through various methods to just be like, Hey, thanks for mentioning me. I really appreciate it. We, it's a small market. Yes. <laughs> and occasionally we Google ourselves. And we're like, ooh, someone likes it. It's great. You send you send this book out. You promote marketing is the worst part of it. You send the book out. What does the book do? It just disappears. You don't hear from someone. You're like, well, they hate it. They hate me. They think I'm insane. Well, I thought it was great. I still think it's great. It's very cool, and I'm glad I accidentally stumbled upon it. 
because I was not subject to any of your marketing for it. <laughs> exactly. All right, cool. All right. Uh, well, let's just, uh, you know, I should probably just unplug my audio because that's probably how I should say goodbye. <laughs> okay. <laughs> And the right. mic is off. Yep, his mic's off. I think we're calling it a day. Thank you so much, G. Edward Patterson III, for joining us on this this interview at the Goblins and Growlers podcast. I think he plugged his mic back in. There he is. I, I was going to commit to it and just quit, but then I, I should just. Do that. I thought that's what you were doing. I was willing I to commit I was, to the bit. No, I was willing to Thelma and Louise this with you and just go off the cliff. All right. <laughs> And he's dropped from the call entirely, folks. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, thanks for listening. This is going to be a long one. Uh, hopefully when we record the wrapper for this, we remember to tell you that. Uh, but uh, I think we'll just take it to the outro from here, Josh. Um, I've uh, been Brandon at Way of Brandalore on Twitter. I've been Josh at Black Cloak DM on Twitter. Our wonderful guest, G. Edward Patterson III, has been at Eeldip on Twitter. Um, his company is The Skull is a Complete Gentleman. Uh, it may or may not have a website. We're not sure. But you can <laughs> find him on DriveThruRPG, Growthsworth of Grotesques. It's a fantastic uh, system neutral, neutral bestiary. Check it out. Give him some money. Find that Etsy store. He's going to send us some links for it. Buy his map of Oregon. Uh, uh, as always, you can join us on Discord uh, at, uh, uh, what's the Discord address, Josh? Uh, bit.ly bit. slash Goblin Discord. That's right, bit.ly slash Goblin Discord. Um, also, uh, telephone, telegraph, tell a friend about the Goblins of Growlers podcast. Um, am I missing anything? No, I think, I think you've covered the range pretty well. Uh, thank you all so much for tuning in, and we will see you in a couple of weeks. All right. Bye. Bye, y'all. If you like what you hear, consider subscribing and giving us a review over on Apple Podcasts. Especially early in the feed, subscriptions and reviews are super helpful for bringing new listeners our way. Thank you.